Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter and a broker here at StoneX. I focus on the grain and oil seed markets and uh, the team around me. We also have experts in energy, uh, livestock, interest rates, fertilizer, um, anything really to do with the futures and options markets. Uh, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, you go to turnerstake.com. It'll take you to the StoneX uh, webpage to to sign up for that, and you can also check out the, the podcast. Um, if you want to give us a positive review, please go to iTunes, and that's how people find us. Um, and yeah, if you're a client here, you can always uh, text me. You should have my cell phone number if you're anything that we want to go over. And if you're not a client and you want to learn more about uh, um, about how we work with um, people here at StoneX, you can give me a call at 312-706-7610. You can shoot me an email at craig.turner at stonex.com. And of course, clients have my office phone, cell phone um, too. So um, let's get into it. A bit of housekeeping here. As uh, as you all know, you know, we uh, my old company, Daniel's Trading, was acquired a couple of years ago through uh, by Stonex. And one of the things that's going to change here. Over the next month or so, is the name of this podcast is going to transition from Turner's Take to uh, Stonex Grains and Oil Seeds with Craig Turner. And there's also going to be YouTube posts that go along with that. Um, and, uh, and the newsletter will probably change to meet that too. So I'll have more on that also. Also going to have a, um, a report and a service we have here for price forecasting on the grain and oil seed market. So it's uh, it's very exciting. Um, if you have any questions for me, if you're a client here, and you know, let me know. But it is we are going to be making changes. You will not have to resubscribe to the podcast. Everything will just get updated automatically in the uh, the podcast apps and iTunes and stuff like that. But we'll be changing here probably within a month on the, on the branding and and what this looks like. So just a heads up for everyone. Um, getting into that since we are a grain and oil seeds podcast here. Um, with StoneX, let's get into Argentina. We're just going to get right off the bat here. So Argentina elected a new president, uh, Javier Mili. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, and, um, or Mille, uh, and he is a libertarian. And you know, Argentina has been much more on the you know, socialist bent for decades here. And, um, you know, I think what you know, there was a kind of a, you know, the elect latest election, the population went the other way, and they elected a real libertarian. Um, and what's interesting is they made some of their economic first changes uh, to their economic policy today. One thing they did is they devalued the peso. Now, another way to say that is 
the old government wasn't let the peso trade freely and they were artificially keeping it very high and it created a black market for the peso. So then this government came in and really kind of, you know, basically devalued it by 50%. But that's that's really more reflective of where that, that peso should be if there wasn't government controls and influence on it, right? So that's number one. What, the, what that does it makes Argentina's exports, you know, what they're selling to the rest of the world, cheaper. And their price competitiveness is a lot better. So that we had the grain market selling off today. Give you a host of reasons, technical, end of the month selling. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of stories out there. My personal opinion, market's been waiting to see what Argentina does. Argentina is one of the three major players in the oilseed market. For wheat exports, you know, for the southern half of the hemisphere, the southern hemisphere, I mean, Argentina and Australia are the two wheat players, right? For So when we get into a marketing year window where it's the South American marketing year for wheat, I mean, having Argentina, having cheaper wheat matters. So I think we saw our, the wheat market take it on the chin, you know, for a while there. We saw, you know, we also had uh, soybeans down about one to... Well, Right now we're down. We're going to finish down a little over one percent. Um, you know, wheat's down about two percent today. Corn, corn's down about one percent. So, you know, we're we're definitely reacting to it. Now, these are long-term trends, and who knows? I mean, we can have all these cuts in economic policy changes, and next month the people might be like, "All right, enough with this experiment. We're going back to our old ways." Like, you never know how things go with government politics and all that stuff. But the but what the market's going to start to do is say, hey, um, they, this may be the start of things to come with Argentina. So they're going to devalue the currency. Exports are going to be more um, competitively priced. Here's the thing. That doesn't mean farmers have to sell. Still at 150% inflation in Argentina. Can you imagine that? 150% inflation. Uh, I, I know it feels like we've had 150% inflation sometimes when you go to the supermarket, but uh, you know it is, it is what they're trying. I don't know if that gets solved immediately. I mean, honestly, they've all, also Argentina cut uh, basically what their new president say says is a bloated government. So they got rid of some from services and just cut entire departments. Um, they also got rid of subsidies. You know, there was a lot. When energy prices got too high, the government was basically having subsidies to, you know, or pay for the energy to bring down gas prices and stuff like that, which Argentina can't afford anymore. Because depending on who you listen to, you know, what economists or reporting agencies, some will argue that Argentina's you know, broke. Um, some will not. Some will defend them and say they're off much better off than you think they are. Um, the truth probably lies somewhere in between. Uh, but you know, and the, the I mean, the, the I they do have substantial loans to the IMF, um, so it's not like it's rosy down there. But they have a huge deficit. There's concerns about you know income coming into the government, which would be through taxes, you know, revenue, and they have this inf you know this inflation problem. So farmers likely aren't even you know aren't about to just start selling a whole bunch of soybeans, for example. Because it's still 150% inflation. Holding those soybeans in the bin is the next best thing to gold, you know, for them uh, as an inflation hedge. Now, that said, if 
some of these economic i bet it's gonna be tough it's gonna be hard at first for argentina and uh it's probably get worse before it gets better economically but if these policies do bring down inflation right and stabilize the currency and we start to see more economic growth because economic conditions are more stable um you know that could eventually lead to inflation at a reasonable level you know in the next year or two that could lead to argentine farmers willing to sell more grain and they certainly have plenty of it so that's not going to happen right now but i do think it's something to keep an eye on how you know i mean if you think back to the united states in the 70s and then they had to really you know after all that inflation you know the ripping off the band-aid was you just send you know interest rates through the roof that was the I mean that was the Volcker Reagan kind of kind of deal there, and it wasn't pretty at first uh, economically. Uh, it took it took a while to for it to for the economy uh, to really see benefits of that, but eventually it worked. This is a different situation down in Argentina, but the only reason why I bring that up is these things take time. It's not going to radically change what's going on in the grain oil seeds just yet, but I do think the market is now taking note of it. And is going to be keeping an eye on it. And I'm sure this is a story you're going to be hearing for a while. I'm going to add one more thing to this. Argentina has to, A, what they're going to try to do is rein in inflation. They're going to try to cut spending, right? And then the third, which we already talked about. But the third thing they're going to do is they need revenue, right? They're going to need revenue to pay back all these loans and to run the government. So taxes and tariffs on ag products probably stay high. Uh, I doubt they go higher on soybeans, but I'd be kind of shocked at first if they go lower. We'll see. Uh, there's also some reports I saw today of them having tariffs uh, and taxes on uh, on other grain and oil seeds, and you know, in hopes to you know wait for they can have more revenue. So that's so the first two things, the inflation part and the you know kind of ending the subsidies. You can make a case that was kind of bearish for grain and oil seeds, but you know we're not gonna, but them not reducing the taxes and even increasing the tariffs on some of the products that haven't been tariffed tariffed or taxed um you know that that's that's not bearish that's neutral to bullish overall so that's why the market isn't crashing it's a long-term story and also say something else here you know if we're expecting that you know the markets let's say let's say argentina does get inflation in check and the export tariffs come down and farmers are selling more and more grain and oil seed into the market keep in mind on the the oil seed side we are going to have a major expansion of crush renewable biofuels and while we've been talking a while maybe for a while like maybe you know you know what's going to happen maybe there's gonna be these huge shortages if we keep on going the way we do you know the the crush capacity in 2024 and 25 just may offset you know the the grain that may come to the market in late 24 or 25 if things do do work out in argentina's favor economically you know with inflation and exports or the or the willingness to sell and you can have an effect there where those two factors end up balancing each other out. So, you know, sky is not falling, uh, but it is a major, major story. And it's why we're leading off uh, today with that podcast, uh, the podcast with it. Um, I do want to just get into a couple of things here. Um, big picture, big picture on corn, big picture on soybeans, big picture on wheat. And we'll throw in canola with the uh, with the soybeans. But the big picture on corn is for now, we are a range-bound market. 
been saying this in the newsletter. Um, I've been having conversations we've had on having on the phone. Uh, we are we are not um, we are not. I don't think we're breaking below 450, 460 anytime soon, especially with soybeans 12, 13 dollars and wheat, you know, in the sixes, in spring wheat in the sevens, right? Um, and the thing, it's not like things are exactly solved in the Black Sea either. So there is reason to have premium in the corn market, where if all the markets were adequately supplied or burdensome, like maybe we go down to, um, you know, four bucks. And right now we're really in the high fours. Um, but when we take a look at next year for new crop, you know, some of the early estimates have us at 91 million acres corn, which by the way, is nearly 4 million less than last year. And we have, and December 4, 2000, December 2024 corn is over five bucks. And analysts are saying 4 million acres less with these corn over $5. Interesting. Not saying it's not right. I, I mean, I have no problem accepting a 91 million acres, but it is, it is an interesting trend to see there. And we'll see if, if that's how it holds up. On a 181 yield and 91 million acres planted, which puts us about 83 million uh, harvested, we have a pretty big production. And we're also carrying in about 2 billion from the year before. We probably build ending stocks by 500 million in that, in that scenario. So again, so acres are declining 4 million year over year, and we're adding five, 500 million bushels to ending stocks in that scenario, given a reasonable demand estimate for feed and ethanol and exports. Um, so that's a little concerning, and that you know, really 91 million acres in a trend line yield, not saying that's set in stone, but... Uh, you know, you would have to, you know, if we get 91 million acres, just to keep things the same year over year on ending stocks, we'd have to go from a 181 yield to a, a 175 yield. So, I mean, that's uh, like a percentage or two, 2% loss in, in yields, maybe even 3%. Um, so to, to get to that number, uh, you know, just to, sometimes I like to work out the balance sheets just to see where we get tight, which would be that 10% stock to usage so if we lose six million acres year over year we go from almost 95 to 89 and we lose 10 bushels on the yield we go from 81 to 170 71 we get down to about 1.4 and a half billion uh which is which we're we basically have 14.5 billion on the use which gets us to 10 percent stock to usage so just keep that in mind with corn to get back to tight stocks, which I define as 10% stock to usage. So you gotta, we got to bring down acres by 6 million year over year, and we got to come down 10 bushels per acre on the yield. So not saying that can't happen. And who knows if, if corn continues to sink here and beans and wheat stay high. Maybe we do stay at 89. Maybe we do eventually get to 89 million acres in corn. I don't think so. I think 91 does does feel a little bit right, just based on conversations and kind of like the early the early trends or that that you're in the reports we're seeing. But which are really just surveys and anecdotal conversations. But it, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the if it was that a case. 
uh, you know, to ask for a 171 yield to just lose, you know, 10 bushels right off the top. I mean, it takes some work to get there. So um, the market and I think the funds are going to view the corn market as bearish. That's why they've built such a big short position. Now, if they're right and we're at over 91 million acres and a trend line yield and we're like 2.5 billion carryout or maybe even higher, then, uh, you know, that we're going to continue to drift towards four bucks over the next year, right? Not not the next month, but over the next year, between now and this time next year. A lot of time, a lot of things can happen. You can still have South American issues. We're probably going to have lower corn acres in South America. Based on just how dry it is down there and the weather patterns, I doubt or I doubt South America has a trend line yield, you know, in Argentina and Brazil. Just what, And I think we'll probably have lower second crop acres, right? And then, so you can see as the cards come out of the deck, you can have a lot of bullish cards come out of the deck in South America and U.S. next year. And you can make the case for a significant rally in corn. And what would add fuel to the fire would be all that short covering that would have to happen. Uh, however, if all the bearish cards come out of the deck, um, you know, it's, you can see why the funds are so short. And that's what they're betting on now. Um, well, one thing I will say about it, though, it's you know, how much more are they going to pile on um, since they're so short already? So uh, to me, corn's a range-bound market. If you've been reading Turner's Take Premium, um, you know, our trading ideas have been centered around a range-bound market for the next couple of, for the next couple of months. Um, and I think, uh, and honestly, I think they're some of my favorite ideas that we've, that we've talked about in recent memory. So um, that's where I am on that. If you want to, if you're interested in what exactly what we're doing, you have to be a client here or be a paying subscriber to Turner's Taking and find all that information in the podcast show notes. Let's get over to soybeans. Um, all right. So soybeans and canola. Last for the, you know, the old crop that we have now, we had 83.6 million acres. We had yield right around 49 and a half, give or take, which is down from, you know, from the trend. The 83.6 million acres was a surprise on the planting. I, I mean, I would think we've got to come up to at least 87 million. Let's say the trend line yield is 51 when the USDA comes out. So 87 million acres and a 51. What's really interesting about those two numbers is we just use as much as we consume in terms of exports and crush here in the United States. So, you know, as I was talking about before, you know, what does it take to, you know, keep corn stocks year over year the same? It's 91 million acres and like a 175 yield, right? So that's, oof, that's not great. And that still just puts you over 2 billion in carryout. Um, but for the soybeans, 87 and 51, you're still at 260 or 250. So if you go to 89 million acres, which wouldn't be out of the question, if corn's 91, that allows soybeans could go into 89. And if you get 89, let's say you get a really good crop this year, you know, for 2024, let's say yields 52. And all of a sudden, ending stocks are now over 400. And we're back to 10% stocks usage. And as long as South America has a decent crop, uh, you could have, this time next year, you could have $10 soybeans in that situation. Now, if we're 85 million and we're 50 or lower on the yield in soybeans, meaning we only gain a million and a half acres, because uh, maybe some, you know, what we lose to corn 
some of it may switch over to wheat. If they, in that kind of a scenario, not saying it's going to happen, but in that kind of scenario, plus let's say we're between a 49 and a 50 yield, we don't have a good growing year. Yeah, it argues for some some pretty it, it argues for price rationing where crush has to come down, which would be tough. But crush would have to come down 50 or 75 million bushels, and exports would have to come down 75 to 100 million bushels, which would mean beans in the mid to high teens, you know, in in that scenario. But you can get to beans in the mid to high teens easier then you can get to six, seven or $8 corn just based on A, the carryout we're gonna have coming into the year and, and where we think the acreage are gonna start off with. So my concern if I'm a producer is the downward tra trajectory of corn. Um, on the flip side, corn does have an interesting upside story by, by the sheer amount of shorts there are. And if something should happen, like if we should get a real a real big surprise on acres next year. And then with soybeans, they deserve to be higher and stay this high until one of two things when we both happen. You know, we have a record right now, we're still penciling a record crop in South America, even though yields have been coming down, we're still planting record acres down there, which is why we're still above the, you know, estimates are still above the record uh, production numbers for, for South America and Brazil particularly. Um, but, we would need, you know, any kind of issues with with that keeps soybeans elevated. And then here in the United States, you have to have at least 87 million acres and you have to have at least a 51 yield. And neither of those are given. And that's just to keep things tight, like a 6% stock to usage. So you know, we'll see. The market in theory should reward beans and punish corn here to get as to get as many acres switched over to soybeans to corn. If that happens, you know, the price relationships kind of come back into a little bit more normal. If not, you can have another year of kind of depressed corn prices and high soybean prices. And, you know, that will play itself out over the next couple of months here. Um, and that's and that's where we on soybeans. In terms of just like trading and uh, hedging, you know, if I'm a buyer of soybeans, you're probably still buying hand to mouth. Maybe you're Maybe you have some upside protection, but if I'm a producer and I'm looking at new crop and we're at, let's say we're at $13 and you know, if there's a big South American harvest, like it ends up being pretty good. Um, and we have 88 or 89 million acres and a trend line yield in soybeans, like, man, we could be $2 too high, you know, or $3 too high in soybeans. If, if all the bearish cards come out of the deck, the big risk here is downside of soybeans. Um, now, the bulls will argue, and if all the Polish cards come out of the deck for soybeans, you know, they, you know, you lose five percent of yield in South America, and we only get, and you know, we're under 87 million acres, and we're under a 51 yield. Yeah, we could, I mean, you could test all-time highs in that scenario on the soybean market. So there's a lot of variability in the soybean market. Uh, canola. It's actually going to be a drag on soybeans or <laughs> just a follower. The problem with canola is right now is export demand. Um, we've overproduced in other areas of the world, you know, Australia and Europe. And then when you add all those supplies to Canada and the amount of export, global export demand there is, there's going to be like a 2 million ton cushion here 
that whoever just has the higher price is going to be left holding the bag of that 2 million metric tons. And it looks like that's Canada unless their prices really come down. So either we stay high and you don't sell the canola and eventually by the end of the year, you know, we're down 600 or lower or the market has to come down to 600 or lower in the, in the futures to stimulate that demand, steal demand away from other parts of the world, namely Europe, um, like the Europe Black Sea area and then, uh, and then Australia in order to stimulate demand. Either way, it, may, it, it argues for lower prices. Now, again, it'll also have an, you know, soybeans will have an influence on canola and uh, you know, the rapeseed crop in Europe, which really is canola. There's, there's really no huge difference between rapeseed and canola. Um, canola is just rapeseed rebranded and modified just a little bit um, differently. But all in all, market's going to treat it the same. And then you've got... Uh, Palm, which is a well-supplied market, and you also have the sunflower, uh, which is becoming more and more available, you know, as things come back online slowly from the Black Sea. So not, a, you know, the best bull story right now for canola and soybean oil is renewable biofuel, renewable biodiesel. Um, but the bear, you know, biggest bear story is probably the building canola stocks, the building palm stocks. Uh, the prospect of Argentina being willing sellers in the next year or two uh, on soybean. And the bull story really here is the United States um, tight stocks. So that's where we are on the soybean market. As far as wheat goes, what's very interesting about wheat is when Chicago wheat got into that 560, area, it was like 80 cents cheaper in the United States than it was compared to the next cheapest feed wheat, which I want to say was uh was european uh feed wheat and we saw china come in and buy a lot and what happened is you know the chicago wheat went up 60 cents i want to say minneapolis was up 50 and kansas city was up 40 whatever it may be from those lows and we got that high united states wheat wasn't as competitively priced and the board of trade you know sold off here i think the australian story i'm sorry the argentine story of what's going on now with their new government, uh, you know, new economic policies. Probably not great for wheat. Probably overseeing it, you know, selling off here. Um, and when I take a look at the balance sheets, then the January WASDE report will give us the winter wheat seedings. You know, if you asked me three to six months ago, I would have called for wheat acres in the United States over 50 million, which I can't remember the last time it was. You know, it's been at least five to 10 years, I want to say. Last time wheat was over 50 million on the acreage. But and we were 49.6 last year. But we could be more likely at 48 million um, instead of increasing, actually decreasing. It has to do with the higher, higher price of corn and, and soybeans for sure. But 48 million and a 49.5 yield, which is what the ag form in USDA will probably use for trend or pretty close to it, uh, puts us in ending stocks of like 800, almost 840% stock to usage, which means wheat starts to be an adequate, so adequately supplied market on the verge of being burdensome. Now, if we only have 47 million acres and the yield isn't, you know, is a little bit below trend, which you know, things are still 
you know, kind of dry, you know, throughout parts of the Midwest. I mean, it's better than it was in past years, but you never know with wheat. We're not getting snow cover, so we always have a, a risk of the freeze, right, or freeze damage, of, even if it's minimal. Uh, you can bring down national yields by a bushel. We're at 48 yield, um, 47 million acres. You figure in like 82% harvested. You're at a 700 stock to usage, 36%. I'm sorry, 700 ending stock, 36% stock to usage. You know, it's not, it's not tight. It's on the verge of tight and adequate at that point. And you can argue for somewhat elevated wheat prices at that point too. So when I take a look at the wheat market, I mean, this is the all wheat category, and I take a look at corn, and I take a look at soybeans, there is enough acreage to go around to get all the stocks back to adequate levels. And you, know, you could have 89 million acres corn, 89 million acres soybeans, you know, 48 to 49, let's say 48 million acres wheat. And if you have trend line yields and those acreage mix for everything, all prices come back to an equilibrium of adequately supplied markets. That's not how this works, but that, you know, in theory, from the economist's point of view and problem solving, that's what uh, that's what the balance sheets would look like. It's more likely you get more corn, you get less soybeans and less wheat. Um, so going forward here, when I take a look at the wheat market, you know, clearly that 550 area is a very significant support level for wheat on the buy side whether you're a spec trader or you have to buy wheat because you have flat exposure to flower prices, whatever it may be. It's very interesting. And you can extrapolate that to Kansas City and um, and Minneapolis. Um, there's some also for selling it on the, uh, on the producer side, if you have to hedge wheat. What's interesting about wheat is you have a pretty big carry in some of these markets and you can start using the carry to your advantage. So if you're if you're a producer, I think having price targets farther out um, to take advantage of this carry, and we are still fairly adequate. We're adequate maybe in U.S. stocks, but we're tight in global exporter stocks. So if you're on the producer side, you're probably looking to sell the back end of the curve to your advantage on the carry side. And we do have ideas like that. Uh, you do have to be a client here, subscribe to Turner's Take Premium. So you can certainly check that out on the uh, on our website. You can go to turnerstake.com and you know we'll bring it to the Stone X store if you want to look at that. And uh, on the on the producer side, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, on the end user side, um, yeah, the, the I think you know if China's buying and you're seeing and you're seeing a lot of export demand on those dips, probably means it's a good value. Maybe you know, makes sense to to follow suit on that. So. Overall, still think corn is a neutral market for the most part. Uh, I'm concerned about new crop prices for corn. On soybeans, we're going to be tight and we can be all over the place. And whether you're an end user or you're a producer, I would say you probably want to get more aggressive on your risk management because uh, and kind of lock some things in because we could go anywhere. And then you know, with the wheat market, yeah, and what's interesting about the wheat market here is we've got tight stocks in the global exporters, but U.S. stocks are are improving. So, kind of mixed messages here. We will start. We will see demand come back to the United States. We're seeing demand in Canada. I mean, 
Canadian demand for their high protein wheat is very strong. The basis is, you know, strong there. It's kind of the opposite of what's going on with canola. Here in the United States, soft red winter wheat, that Chicago contract, and Minneapolis wheat, the spring wheat contract, which is also what you know, Canada grows, a majority of their wheat is spring wheat, strong here in the United States too. The Kansas City wheat, harder winter, not so much, but between the Canadian spring red wheat, the United States spring red wheat, and the United States winter, soft red winter wheat, all very strong uh, markets here. So you can see more of a mixed bag with wheat. Here's the thing I'll say though, and we all got to realize, the next major shot of wheat supplies to come onto the market, uh, we can make it, there'll be some wheat coming from Argentina and Australia, but that's the Southern hemisphere. The Northern hemisphere produces 80% of the world's exportable wheat. And that's what's tight right now. Major exporters, 80% of it comes from Northern hemisphere. Majority of that is winter wheat that is harvested in May and June. So when we get to May and June, you know, it's based on those July contracts. We are going to see a big shot, most likely. You never know. We don't, let's not count our chickens before they roost. But there is a potential for a big shot of wheat that can find its way to the export market starting in May and June. And if the listen, if the yields aren't there or the acreage isn't there, then we're tight and high again in wheat. But if the acres are there and the yields are there, then if there is a next step lower in the wheat market, a next leg lower. We're gonna probably find out about that in April, April, May, as we head into harvest for the for that winter, winter wheat. Something to keep in mind. So all right. I hope everyone uh is having a good week. I am gonna wrap stuff up here now. Again, Turner's take, um, we are, you know, we're that of Turner's take podcast stays the same, but it is gonna transition. There's gonna be rebranding. It's gonna be you know, Stonex grain and oil seeds uh, with Craig Turner. Um, and it's going to be, uh, we're very excited about that. The branding may change a little bit. Um, the uh, the artwork on the podcast and on the newsletter may change a little bit, but everything will be will be the same. You don't have to resubscribe or, or anything like that. Um, it'll still be in the same podcast feed and the same subscription list for the newsletter. It'll just look a little bit different. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. I'm glad you listened. Please feel free to contact me. And again, podcast, give us a review, iTunes. If you want to check out Turner's Take newsletter, it's turnerstake.com. And uh, you can even find Turner's Take from there too if you want to take a two-week trial. All right, thanks very much. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, 
or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.